This is a Town Roots Podcast, episode number 37. Welcome to the Town Roots Podcast, the podcast of, about, and for Oakland. No matter if you live in the town, do business here, or are visiting, we have something for you. And now, your hosts, Anthony Wilson and Vincent Hayes. Today we have Melissa Myers from The Good Hop, which is a craft beer and bottle shop on Telegraph. Hey, Melissa, how are you? I'm good, Anthony. How are you? Doing well. Vincent, how are you doing today? I'm great. It's glad to, uh, good to meet you, Melissa. Hi, Vincent. Nice to meet you, too. Yeah, and Melissa, you do beer, and that is near and dear to our heart. Awesome. So, Mine, too. <laughs> yeah, so when we found you, we were like, oh, my God, we have to have Melissa on. So why don't you tell us about The Good Hop? Yeah, so we're The Good Hop Bar and Bottle Shop. We're located at 24th and Telegraph in the Kono District of Oakland. If you're not familiar with the Kono District, it's just north of Uptown. So about five blocks from the Fox Theater. Uh, we have 16 rotating draft taps. We focus mostly on California craft for the taps. And then we have 450 plus cans and bottles in our nine cooler doors. Those are mostly California as well. However, recently we've started branching out. There's amazing craft beer all over this country. Everybody can find our local breweries at their local tasting rooms. And so we're trying to bring in some new stuff and introduce people to some newer breweries. So how does this get started? Did you just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to have a craft beer and bottle shop? Welcome up and went, I like beer. No, actually, my, my background is I'm actually a professional brewmaster. I started brewing professionally in 1996 in Philadelphia. Started there, got totally hooked on it. The brewery I worked for closed for mismanagement of funds as some small businesses fail to, uh, to handle, but I was hooked. So I knew that the place to be was Philadelphia, or sorry, was California. So I got in a car, started driving to California. I stopped in Denver, Colorado to say hi to my mom and Somebody said, oh, do you know this brewer named Deb? And I was like, wow, I've been to 42 breweries and I haven't seen a single woman yet. So I went into that brewery and I was like, hey, is Deb here? I would know her. <laughs> like we were friends. And they said, no, she's not here. Are you here for the job? And I said, yeah, sure. What's the job? It was to be her assistant brewer. So I interviewed with her. I ended up getting the job. At the time, we were, the two of us were two of 25 female brewers in the country back in the 90s. So a pretty small population. I brewed there for a while. It was still pretty clear to me that California was where it was happening. So I headed out here and brewed around the Bay Area. I brewed at Magnolia, the original Magnolia Pub and Brewery in the city. I brewed for a place called Ross Valley up in Fairfax. I brewed for Pyramid in Berkeley. And then I brewed for Drake's, which is my last brew stop before I went, you know what? I'm going to branch out on my own and do something else. And then I have the Good Hot Bottle Shop. <laughs> so that's a great story. So you're in Philadelphia. You're driving to California. You stop in Denver and you walk mm-hmm. in to meet Deb and then you end up taking a job. How long did that last? So uh, I was, I brewed there for two years. I actually had interviewed with her and because I was trying to come to California. I wanted a job, but I didn't really care. And I go with to get to California. Yeah. And she interviewed me and then she said, I'll call you in five days, no matter what. And I was like, all right. And it's been like seven days. And I was like, eh, I guess I didn't get it. Screw it. I'm going to California. So I drive out to California. It was in 98. So no cell phones. I get to California. A good kid called my mom. Hey mom, I made it. I'm safe. And she was like, all right, you should listen to this voicemail message. <laughs> on a tape and then it was dead saying hey i want to offer you this job can you come in tomorrow so i call her from a payphone in pacific or in santa cruz at the beach i was like hey you used to live in california so i'm in santa cruz california and she's like, really what are you doing there and i was like you didn't call me and she's like, i want to offer you the job and i was like all right and she goes, how long is it going to take you to get back here and i was like oh the drive's like 21 hours and she's great i'll see you in 36 hours and i was like oh, okay i'll be there that's great <laughs> So I hung out on the beach and had some dinner and then turned around and drove back home. 
<laughs> oh, that is awesome. Is California or Northern California or the West Coast, is this kind of the center for uh, for craft beer? I think it's, it started that way. In the 90s when I got into brewing, everybody, like everything that was coming out hoppy was coming from California. And for an example, we made a beer in Denver that had 58 IBUs. And IBUs is a, how you measure the hoppy bitterness of a beer. It's less important now, but it used to be the guide for how you knew how hoppy it was. We made 58 IBUs and we were like, oh my gosh, it's so bitter. It's so hoppy. And California was putting out beers that were like 80 and 90 IBUs as if it were water. I think in the time, yeah, like that's why I wanted to get out here. And we were doing, California was the innovative area, was creating these styles, taking twists on styles. You have something called the West Coast IPA, which is basically from California. It's just a very overhopped, very pine, earthy pine, dank IPA. That's where that, that started from. But I also think that now... People have moved. People are being innovative everywhere all over the country, right? So I don't know that we're the epicenter of it anymore. I think it's pretty scattered across the country for that. But certainly a higher concentration of brewers anyway, just naturally, right? So like everyone's always trying to come up with the new, what's the new concept, what's the new IPA, what's the new style variation on a style that already exists. That's awesome. What made you create the bottle shop in Oakland? So I was brewing for Drake's before anyone knew who Drake's was. It was just me and Roger Davis who owns Faction Brewing Company. We were the only two employees. We were back behind the Walmart in San Leandro doing our own thing. And it just, it came, it was time for me to go. Roger had put his notice in. It was time for me to branch out. I really wanted to open my own brewery. I was tired of brewing for other people. The owner and I didn't see eye to eye on some things. So I was like, all right, I'm leaving. I'm going to go open my own brewery. And my dad was like, I'm going to give you $10,000 because that's what you could give for a family gift at the time. I was like, all right, I'm going to open a brewery. And I quit. And then a month later, I was like, oh, my God, I can't open a brewery with $10,000. What have I done? So I had to, like, step back a little bit, try and figure it out. So I had hit up a bunch of people. I actually had a very sizable amount of money that was promised that was going to come to me through investors. But it was 2008. The economy crashed, and every one of those people filed for bankruptcy before they wrote me a check. (laughs) So they'd written me a check. I never would have had to pay them back. It would have been amazing. But that's not how it worked. Then I was like, oh my gosh, I don't, how am I going to find money? There's no money to be had. So I stepped back. I took this really amazing business class through a program called the Renaissance Center. Mm-hmm. They actually, they have a headquarter in San Francisco, but they have one here in, in Oakland, in the East Bay and one up in Richmond. They are hands down 100% the reason that the good hop exists. I didn't, I know how to make beer. I didn't know how to run a business. And so I took that class. Class was amazing. It was basically a college level course. And in the end of it, I was fully, I had stepped in the class going, I'm going to open a brewery. And on the first day, he's like, how much does everybody need? And it's small business. So someone's like, I need a thousand dollars for two computers and a printer. And I need this. I need five thousand dollars. I need this. And I was like, I need one point five million dollars. <laughs> and he was like, cool. I'm going to talk to you after class. And I was like, oh, man, it's the first day. <laughs> like, I'm already have to talk to him after class. But there was no money to be had. So they helped me instead of just giving up and walking away. I revamped it to this bar, to the Good Hop. And the Good Hop was me. No business partners, no investors, me in the bank so that I could actually do something that was functional. And as long as the bar could pay the the loan, the bank loan, then I was in a better shape than coming in with the 60 bucks in my pocket. And now it's no longer the bank. I was able to pay the bank loan off in at the very beginning of COVID. So it's just me now. That's awesome. When you got started, did you initially start as a bottle shop or did you have ideas of kind of brewing in, in the, the location? Once you got- the way that the business plan I had structured it was that it was just going to be the bar and the bottle shop. One, because to be able to brew, you, you have to be in a certain 
like zone area, right? So that would have put me, I had to be in a manufacturing area and it was harder to be a bar in a manufacturing area. So the bar sits underneath in a, the bottom of a condo building, right? So they're not going to let me have pressurized tanks and gas and stuff underneath where a bunch of people sleep. But yeah, yeah it's, it's a thing. But so they did like, my goal was get the bar open, run it for five years, learn everything about running a small business without being distracted about brewing. Cause really all I wanted to do was make beer, but learn how to run a business, right? Learn how to pay all the government fees and pay attention to that and how to deal with people and everything that you need to do. And then by year five was to like start looking at how to take the brew, the bar and leverage it into financing for a brewery. However, <laughs> year five was just slightly before COVID. I still had the loan. I still had to pay off. So I wasn't out of debt and the brewing scene had exploded. So when I was brewing, when I left Drake's, I think we were at like 1800 breweries in the country. And by five years into having the bar open, we were at 4,000 breweries. So it was just super, super saturated. So I realized that maybe it wasn't the best time to try and push that to try and open a brewery. It's still in my heart though. Now it's my retirement plan. I feel like that. I want to open a little brewery, just pass beer across the bar. I don't need to be in every bar. I don't need to be on every tap, just a little tasting room and some beers I like to make. But so once you got going, down the road. <laughs> okay. Okay. So once you got going, what was the one big surprise that you ran into after you got the business going? So a lot of people ask me that within the first like three or four years of being open. So we've been open for eight and a half. In the first three or four years, <laughs> the most surprising thing about owning a bar is how many fingernails you find on the floor at the end of the night. Wow. I know that that's super weird. <laughs> but that, that it is, just explain um, that. <laughs> it's a little crazy. Like, like you sweep up at the end of the night and I think people just fidget. You're sitting in a bar. So we're just a bar. Like the whole, I didn't put outlets in the front of the bar. I wanted people to come and sit and talk to each other. One of my favorite things about going to a bar is you sit down at a bar and you leave an hour, two hours later and you're like, oh my God, I had the coolest conversation with this dude next to me. Or this woman over here, is, she's from, she's visiting from Portland or whatever. Think, but think people fidget. They break up coasters. They shred them into pieces. I think they fidget. They must fidget with their fingernails. It was the weirdest thing. The first like four months of sweeping up, I was like, this is nuts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is what people do. Or maybe it's the same person and they just went through all their fingernails. I don't know. <laughs> That is crazy. It's not from people like popping cans or anything that you... No. Wow. No, because you have to give them to us to open them. So on business side, probably more to actually maybe the background behind your question. This bar, particularly because of the neighborhood we're located in, I have a whole group of what we call street regulars. And they're just people who are unhoused in this neighborhood. And I was surprised. I'm surprised at how much I spend time with them as well, talking to them, getting to know them. Like I moved into their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Who am I to think I'm better than that? And they're all human. So I spent the first couple of years, like every person I saw, I'd be like, Hey, Melissa, what's your name? I've never seen you around here before. How are you doing? Can I help you? And it's not something I didn't factor it into a business plan. And it's not, it's not a money-based thing for me, but it's just the neighborhood that we're in. I wanted to be a part of the neighborhood in every possible way. So I think as a business, I never expected to also spend that much energy towards something that actually doesn't happen inside the walls of my business. I don't really think about that as much. I think when you're starting out and you're like, I'm a bar, people are going to come in, they'll come to me. But we live in the space inside and outside the walls. And that was definitely something I did not take into account when I came into this neighborhood. And what's been the response to that? I think it's pretty good. You can't, I can't save everybody in the neighborhood, yeah. which I would love to, but it's just not feasible. But I think by... We've gotten to know a lot of them. We have them look out for us. And with our windows, we have very tall windows on, we're on a corner. So we have windows on both sides, two sides of the bar. And I've seen them be like, there's a guy who's just out of control. I'll see one of them come and be like, nah, man, don't go in there. Don't bug them. They're cool people. And so I feel like that 
like to me, that's the best compliment from them is that they recognize that we're here to just, we're here to just trying to live too, just like they are. It just depends. <laughs> we all have a different level and scale of how we're trying to do that. So I find that that's always the nicest compliment to me that they don't hate us for moving into the neighborhood. And yet they, not only do they not hate us, but they actually are here to support us and pr- help protect us too. So it's pretty cool. Melissa, you said when you first got started, it was only you. How many employees do you have now? So right now I have four bartenders and a social media person and me. So six, I'm not really, I guess I'm an employee, six of us. And that's about where we've always sat. When I opened, I had a manager and one other bartender and me. And that was it for about six months before we were like, okay, that's a lot of work. We need to get some other people in here. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned earlier that there weren't that many female brewers in the country and you, Mm -hmm. you're not brewing, you have a beer and bottle shop, but I just imagine that even if you just go over to being a shop owner, right, there aren't a lot of women in this business, right? So what does it mean to you to be one of the few women in this? I honestly think it it meant more when I was a brewer because brewers gather a lot, right? We go to fests, we go to conferences, we do these things. And so you see, it's very visually obvious that you're one of the only females in the room. But as a bar owner, like, we don't, bar owners don't really get, I know a bunch of bar owners and I'll go hang out and chat with them, but we don't all get together as a collection. So it doesn't seem as obvious to me. To me, I'm like, oh, I own this business. That dude owns that business kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, for some reason it doesn't transfer like it did for me from the brewing, the brewing side of it to the retail sales side of it. But I feel do know, like, do you feel like a trailblazer at all? Do you see yourself as a trailblazer? I am learning to see myself as a trailblazer. <laughs> and part of that is that to me, I just do what I do, right? That's what I want to do. Of course, I'm going to do it. But it became, a, it, it was made aware to me after I opened this place that like a lot of people, a lot of women in the industry knew who I was, knew my history or learned about my history. And we became a meeting spot for mm-hmm. women in the industry, whether they were in sales or brewing or whatever, HR, all those things to like to come here, that they felt like it was a safe place to come here or they could come in ask questions that they might not ask other places. Hey, this happened to me at this event the other day. That's messed up. Like kind of thing. Or the brewing movement, the brewing industry actually went through their own Me Too movement a while back. And it was during COVID, which made it hard because you couldn't go to a bar and congregate and chat with people. But it was a pretty brutal awakening to the industry. And so we actually opened our doors. You weren't supposed to be open during the to the public, but we opened our doors for a private event and we had about 60 women who came through just, I just need to be around other people who know what's going on and how I and know how I feel. And we had people in the corners telling their stories to someone else crying and we had people dancing on the bar and celebrating that they had found some freedom. And so like, it was pretty awesome. It was cathartic, I think, for a lot of people in the industry. We all needed to find that community and come back together. So it was pretty cool. Well, it certainly sounds like other females in the industry see you as a trailblazer. So hopefully you get comfortable to seeing yourself as a trailblazer as well. <laughs> I think that every so often people remind me they're like do you know do you know what you carry or do you know this and I'm always like oh god I guess so yeah yeah okay yes I'm gonna learn that I'll learn it (laughs) (laughs) that is awesome hey thanks so much for being vulnerable and sharing that story with us yeah for sure so share with us some of your successes or maybe some of your challenges of being a business owner yeah I think I love Oakland I opened it here in Oakland because I I love the soul of Oakland right there's just it's very different and diverse. There's the communities are different. The neighborhoods are different. And so I wanted to drop in here and be a part of that. And I think, and part of it's COVID, I think in the last four years, it's been really hard to be a small business owner in Oakland. It feels like you're out on an Island by yourself. So we try to find each other, talk to each other. Some, I meet with some people, we call it 
business owner therapy. We all kind of say our gripes and our bitches and be like, oh, you're going through the same thing? Oh, okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. Not that you're going through it too, but oh, I feel better that I'm not out there by myself. But on the flip side of that, I can say I'm, I'm unbelievably proud that I've been here for eight and a half years. Two of those years were through COVID. And as a bar, when you can't be open to the public, like it's a pretty monumental, it's, I feel like it's a pretty monumental feat to be able to stay open through that to change. So my website we used to never sell beer online, like you had to come in and get it. And now our website shows a live inventory. You can see everything we in fact, you can see more of what we have in inventory if you go to the website than if you stand at the coolers because mm. we have back stock that we can't get onto the front. Um, so just the fact that I've been open for eight and a half years to me and have become, I would say that we've become a pillar of the craft beer industry in the East Bay. Um it's pretty awesome, actually. It makes me smile when I think about it. It makes me beam. And I'm very proud of the staff. Like, we we have a very small staff. We're like a family. And the fact that I'm not here 24 hours a day, right? I'm not here behind the bar every minute we're open. And that doesn't just fall on me and my reputation, but it falls on my bartenders who are just like stellar people who really dig beer and can talk about beer as much as I can. But, hey, let's crack up a beer. Let's try it. This is great. That's all on them for keeping those people coming back. Like we're a, a team in every aspect of it, which is cool. Nice. <laughs> nice. Hey, so Melissa, what advice would you give to another small business owner? And it could be someone in your industry or someone outside your industry. What would you say? Hey, I figured this out and everyone else should know this. That's a very broad question. I would say, and I actually said this to someone recently, I would say that if you're already open, right? You asked if you're starting, but if you're already open, like you cannot take any of it personally, right? So you have a day where your sales are maybe the worst sales you've had in eight and a half years. And you're like, oh my God, like what's happening? Nobody likes the good hop anymore. What do we do? And the reality is you can't take any of it personally. You can't take, you can't take the crappy reviews on Yelp that are mad because you don't open at 1.30, even though all your hours say two. You can't take any of that personally. Like you have to come up with a pretty solid shell of confidence to be like, yeah, like, it ebbs and flows and none of it's personal. It's all, it's business. It's how the population moves from going to bars here and then going to bars here or I'm not really drinking beer right now. So I think the strength in being confident and being a small business owner, because it's hard, right? You wear a ton of different, especially for me, I don't have any managers. So I'm doing all the HR, I'm doing all the payroll, I'm doing bookkeeping, I'm doing, I'm the publican who comes out and talks to people and all of that, right? So I think you just have to be confident. If you're going to open that business, you must believe in it in every way that you're just going to throw everything into it and be like, yeah, I'm in it. I'm in it for the good and the bad. Like the good's amazing and the bad sometimes sucks, but you got to be strong enough to have the good carry you through it. You know, that's very true. And that's a very excellent piece of advice because I think what a lot of small business owners run into when they get started is that they're so vulnerable because this is their baby. They want everybody to love it and they want the success that's going to validate them with their friends and family. But you just have to have that thick skin. That's very, that's a beautiful piece of advice. And I hope everybody listens to that. So I got one quick question. This is just a random thought that I've had. Yeah. And since you're here and I know you've got the understanding, you should be able to tell me. So what's probably the most purchased beer at the bottle shop, like at the bar or just total? Is it IPA? Is it a Pilsner? What's What style of beer? It's definitely IPA, 100%. I would say for a while it was hazy IPAs, right? They hit the market and everyone was just crazy for them. But definitely IPA, whether it's hazy or West Coast, which is the brighter style, those that category IPA sells two to one everything else that I have here, hands down. It's just, it's the style that everybody craves. It's got the it's got the citrus juiciness. It's got the piney dank cousin to the weed, to the weed. Sorry. 
Yes, I said that. But yeah, it's just, it's the style that definitely outranks everything else. With the hazies, when the hazy IPA concept came out, they were more on the citrus juicy side. So people who didn't like IPAs because they were too bitter or they were too dank or too sticky or too resiny, that hazy category softened the edges of it and gave it more tropical notes and juicy notes. And I think people were like, oh, I actually do like IPAs now. I didn't think I did. And so it pulled people who maybe weren't drinking IPAs into that world as well. And I think if you talk to brewers, they brew any, if they brew an IPA, which every brewer should brew an IPA, they brew it two to one to everything else they ever make. So when I worked at Drake's, we brewed five times a week. And of those five brews, at least three of them were, was the IPA all the time, every time. Cause that's what the people wanted. And that was back in 2008. So it hasn't even changed that much. Like we just keep adding different variations of IPAs, which just makes that section stronger. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. So I am so excited. I can't wait to shop, stop in to the Good Hop and try a number of the beers that you have on tap. So if you could, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we're physically located at 2421 Telegraph Avenue. We're directly on the corner of 24th and Telegraph in Oakland. You can also find us through our website, thegoodhop.com. The actual face of the website is still <laughs> free COVID, but if you click on Start Shopping on the front page... It'll take you over to our full inventory. We do seasonals up there. We have mystery four packs you can get from us. We have all kinds. Every beer we have here is in there with a picture and usually a fairly solid description about what kind of beer it is. Then if you want to find us, we're very active on Instagram. My wife does our social media and she has a fantastic snarky personality that has basically become the personality of the bar. Lots of people say it's fairly entertaining. So we do a mix of straight up beer knowledge. It's what we have. Here's pictures of cans to just a bunch of commentary about whatever's going on in the world. So you can find us on Instagram at Instagram, the good hop, all one word. You can also find us on Facebook. We do have, if you're ever wondering what our, we have on tap, our draft menu is live on our Facebook page as well as our website. And you can find us on untapped as well. If you're checking in beers, our draft menu is on there as well. So you can find us in a lot of spots. We like to make sure people can figure out where we are. That's awesome, Melissa. And we'll, and we'll include links to all that in the show notes for the episode. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Cool. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. I, anything to showcase small group or small business owners in Oakland is always amazing. Thank you for listening to the Town Roots Podcast. For more information about the show, to leave comments and connect with the hosts, head over to www.townroots.com. 